This is episode 127 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Long-Term Prepping Challenges, Top 5 Easy-to-ID Edible Backyard Weeds, and Controlling the Prepper Image. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, uh, guys, I want to apologize for not having a, uh, a podcast on Tuesday. Um, man, I just, I, it's going to sound like I'm, I'm a wuss. I know it is, but I, um, I've been dealing with uh, like a foot issue for the last couple of, uh, last couple of weeks. And uh, it kind of gets inflamed, and then uh, you know it's okay. Uh, I recently got got a steroid to take care of it because it was really it was really bothering me, and uh, then it just inflamed big time. And I was on my feet all um, all Monday with uh, at a at a staff development for our school district, and uh, we were implementing a new um, just technology based sign in thing, and I was the one authorized on, on my campus site. Uh, for that and I uh, was running around making sure all that stuff was working and uh, kind of pushing through all of it by the end of the day it was so I mean I was limping so bad I mean everybody knew I was limping but uh, I was limping so bad it hurt so much I went straight to uh, a clinic to go get it checked out and of course um, there's just nothing I can't point to any time where I did anything like I stepped wrong or whatever um, the pain kind of went around the the top of my foot, like my ankles, um, and so it went from my left to the right, you know, th- throughout this time period. And so the doctor's like, it's not broken, it's not anything like that. It just looks like it's just inflamed. And so they gave me a, a better st- steroid, and it's amazing how what that steroid would do, you know. And uh, you know, I, I I I was doing ibuprofen, I was doing that kind of stuff. I guess the first doctor that prescribed the uh, the steroid for me, I, I used Teladoc because with my insurance I can just call him up and and he gave me three days worth, but it wasn't it wasn't a um, a powerful dose. I, you know, I guess you know calling in you can't really tell how bad it is or whatever. Um, this doctor called in a, a little bit more powerful dose for me, and uh, it it seemed to have really worked right away. So it's one of those where you take it. Uh, you know, it in in what the doctor was telling me is you want to take the steroid and you want to slowly come down off of it. She said with the steroid that I received the first time, it was just one pill a day. This one is like you take a certain amount of the first day and then you just slowly come down off of it and get your body used to it. And uh, it's amazing what that first uh, the first day just completely I'm able to walk straight and I'll still feel it it's still there a little bit, but um, it just it's just really amazing. One of the things I was thinking about was, you know, during an SHTF situation, man, right? If it was like total grid down, total whole, you know, uh, James Wesley Raw's Patriots, you know, whatever lights out, um, what are you going to do? I mean, you're just going to have to just lay off of it. And there's going to be chores around there. There's going to be people depending on you and, and those different kinds of things you might have to defend. But, you know, you'll just have to live with it and suffer through that. Um, like I said, it was really even my kids uh, in the evening time when I would like have to get up and go to the <laughs> go to the restroom or whatever. They were like they never seen me like that before. So it was wow. Um, 
so again, the steroids really worked. Uh, is amazing. Thank God for modern day medicine. Although we try, uh, we try hard, right, in the preparedness community to to try to do some natural stuff. I take natural vitamins and supplements and different things like that. Um, but it's good to be able to call on uh, modern day medicine if you really, really need it. Um, but just again, you know, those kinds of things. What are you going to do when when the poop really hits the fan? I know that there's, you know, there's uh, natural ways. You know, you can make some poultices and, and put them around, uh, you know, the the wound and help to draw out that inflammation and different things like that. But uh, you have to have those ready. You have to have those prepared. You have to you have to be growing those already, right? Um, so uh, I, I'm just very grateful uh, to uh, to have that modern day medicine and be able to come to you today. Uh, on on this podcast, this might be a little bit longer than normal podcast because I wanted to talk a little bit about Charlottesville. When I recorded the the Monday podcast on Sunday night, um, I didn't I hadn't had a chance to look at a lot of that information um, after church. You know, we had family over, and um, my foot again, my foot was hurting all weekend long. It just really came to a head on Monday, and uh, so I was trying to rest up and that kind of stuff because I knew I had a big day on Monday. But, uh, you know, after looking at a lot of this stuff, I think um, if, if you are not, if you're just taking whatever you see on Facebook or whatever you see from the mainstream media, you're not getting the whole story. Um, I think that's very, very important. So I, I did link to a couple of videos uh, on a Prepper website that I uh, that I saw. And one was from the actually Western Rifle Shooters Association had linked to it. And it was a, a Facebook Live from uh, somebody with the Highway Highwaymen, and uh, he was talking about their. Uh, it was afterthoughts of what had happened in Charlottesville because they were marching. So the, the idea was that it was the Unite the Right rally, right? And so the guy who put it on, um, what's his name again, Kessler or Keller, um, Kessler, the guy who put it on. I guess he, he, you know, he, he put it out there, and what he did, the, the thing that he shouldn't have done is he invited the KKK, the white supremacists, he invited all those people uh, to come be a part of it because it was just going to be uh, Unite the Right and maybe, uh, and I'll get to Kessler in just a minute, but Unite the Right and come out here and support you know, uh, you know, uh, conservatism and patriotism and all that good stuff. So, um, so according according to the way things went down and according to like this video, and if you haven't had a chance to go watch it, you might want to. Uh, like I said, I linked to it over at Western Rifle Shooters Association. Um, you know, they, these guys are just patriotic guys. They're just, you know, they just, you know, uh, want to support the Constitution and freedom and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there's some other guys from uh, the Tennessee Riflemen, I, I believe, if I remember, he's interviewing some of them. And they're just walking in, in the way that they... Uh, described it is they're walking down and they were kind of funneled into this one uh, this one way of, of going uh, that you know they were protecting like the cops they had barriers that they were uh, protecting all the Antifa and all the the left-wing people uh, you know keeping them back but it, they funneled them into this one area where everything kind of went down and so that's why you see some of the videos where people are just kind of walking, but people are kind of hitting them and throwing things at them from the left and to the right and from behind barriers. Um, cops were there and cops didn't do anything. I mean, cops kind of allowed it to happen. You see some of the videos, that you, even if you're watching, you know, mainstream media, you see them, these people are going, I mean, they're, they're throwing punches, they're th hitting with sticks, they're uh, uh, spraying with pepper spray, and nobody's doing anything about it. I mean, there was, there was cops out there. 
And so uh, you get a little bit of uh, insight into that. Um, you know, some of these guys were beat up and they were bandaged up and things like that. Um, you, uh, you know, that first one from Western Rifles uh, Shooters Association is, uh, uh, there's a lot of cussing there. So, I mean, if you're going to watch that uh, with kids, you might be aware of that. But uh, then, so I was there and then I was on Facebook and one of, one of my friends um, who I work in education with you know, have in the past um, linked to or shared out an Alex Jones video that I hadn't, I hadn't seen. And I, I really don't, I mean, I know Alex Jones, I watch some of the stuff. Uh, out there i don't i don't watch them religiously and and you know when anybody gets like really crazy loud screaming type stuff it is, that really is kind of like a turn off to me so I, I never really have liked you know like listening to that part of it but i have seen some of his stuff and i actually linked to uh to info wars on the alt news hub uh page on prepper website but he has a video what they're not telling you about charlottesville and he makes a lot of sense, and he puts it out there. And you know what? He's pretty calm when he's talking about it. And uh, I think that if you are looking for some information, uh, you know, going out and, and watching this video will help you to uh, maybe gain a little bit of information on what uh, what went down because he he puts it out there. And he puts it out there. Hey, the you know, I I've never been for Nazis, and you know, I've protested against them. And he actually shows video. When he was younger, you know, a younger Alex Jones, where he's uh, where he's protesting against these guys, and that's where Kessler really made, messed up, because now you have all these right wing extremists and everything, and so everybody that went to go support, you know, unite the right, whether the, you know there were conservatives, there were patriotic, there you know, hey, we're not burning the flag, hey, let's uh, maintain history, uh, all this kind of stuff, you know, with the Confederate statues being pulled down and all that. Um, you know, all those people that, that went to that are now being grouped with Nazis and white supremacists and KKK and all those, which there, there weren't. And I think that's starting to come out now even more so. Um, you know, Trump, just a little while before I started uh, the podcast, Trump did a, um, he did a, a press coverage or a press or whatever. And so they were asking him questions and he made some really good points. I mean, he's really, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't let the media off. Right. And I think that's, what's so important uh, where they just kind of like in the past, they just get to do whatever and run over everybody. Uh, he doesn't let them off. So the question was with this, uh, this statue that was pulled down, he said, Hey, so George Washington was a slave owner. Are you going to pull George Washington statues down? Right. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. Are you going to start pulling his uh, statues down? And and that makes a, a lot of sense. So we're, we're going to go to Washington D.C. and they're going to start pulling down all these you know fathers of the of the the American War down. You know the, the writers of the Constitution. I mean, come on, get real. So let me bounce back to this Kessler guy. So there's a piece on Breitbart and um, saw this from uh, I actually linked uh, from uh, Facebook, Lori. Lori, yeah, Lori Newman had it. Uh, I've read some of her articles here before, um, but it is. Uh, so let me. I'm going to read. This is from Breitbart. I'm just going to read a little section here. The Southern Poverty Law Center, and that's for those of you that are like total left wing. So the Southern Poverty Law Center reports that Jason Kessler, the organizer of last Saturday's white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, is rumored to be a former Occupy Wall Street activist and supporter of Barack Obama. 
The left-wing SPLC is often partisan and overzealous in targeting hate groups, lumping legitimate conservative organizations together with actual extremists. Therefore, its identification of Kessler's left-wing roots is significant. So um, Southern Poverty Law Center, I mean, the whole group, and I know John Haller has talked about this before, they'll link Christian conservatives in there, right? Christian conservatives and, and other people that, you know, they're not extremists at all. I mean, that, that most people would consider. They link them all in there, but it's very, it's very telling. And so uh, Breitbart links directly to the Southern Poverty Law Center's website, where you can go and you can read this because they it's a quote um actually let me read this quote quote rumors abound on white nationalist forums that kessler's ideological pedigree before 2016 was less than pure and seemed to point to involvement in the occupy movement and past supporter of president obama at one recent speech in favor of charlottesville statues as a sanctuary city kessler live streamed himself as an attendee questioned him him and apologized for an undisclosed spat during Kessler's apparent involvement with Occupy. Kessler appeared visibly perturbed by the woman's presence and reminders of the past association. So it's like he's doing this live broadcast, and this person's like, "Hey, I'm sorry for what you know our past differences." And uh, you know, he seems a little uh, upset that they're bringing this up because he's, you know, he was one of the organizers that helped support Occupy, uh, in the Occupy movement. And so is you know is he and I know I don't want to get into conspiracy or whatever but is that part of it right um, who knows who knows all of that craziness that um, just adds to it maybe maybe Kessler is a guy who just makes his money off of doing riots and and movements and stuff and he couldn't find any more money in the Occupy movement so he decided to jump over to the to the to the conservative side and say hey let me let me make some movements uh, or let me sponsor some movements on the conservative side so I can sell t-shirts and get on podcasts and people can interview me and I can be you know popular on on that side so who knows you know, I'm going to I'm linking to all of these things here on um on uh, the prepperwebsitepodcast.com, and then also if you are, uh, of course, if you all if you download it and you get the show notes in your po- podcast catcher, um, they're there, so you'll be able to link to it. So the other thing is, I, I saw on Alan West um, that um, there was a video that's come out, and he's just kind of linking to other people. Actually, it wasn't written by him. This is actually written by. Uh, Derek Wilburn, founder of the chairman of the Rocky Mountain Black Conservatives. Uh, And so uh, there is evidence that kind of shows that the guy who ran over the people and killed the the one woman, um, he actually wasn't doing it maliciously. He was actually scared for his life. And so in this video, it's a a shot from the back of the car. Uh, I guess you're seeing the background of the car. And so he's kind of going, and it looks like someone takes a swing at the at the back of his car with a bat, and that's when he kind of accelerates. Um, the police have also stated that they didn't believe, uh, the first accounts were that they didn't believe that he did it maliciously, that he did it out of fear. Uh, and also, um, I had read somewhere that the guy suffered from schizophrenia and other things. So anyway, I'm going to link to that one as well, so that might that's going to play into part of it. We had the the protesters today in uh, Durham, North Carolina. They pulled down the statue of just kind of like 
commemorating the Confederate War. Uh, and I mean, this is an old statue. They pull it down. Uh, cops were there. Cops were actually videoing it, but they, the cops didn't stop it. And so they pull it down, and then you have all these people after it comes down. It doesn't look like it's too hard to, to bring down. After it brings, they bring it down, they're kicking it. and I mean, one person looks like they kick it and they hurt their, their foot. Um, but it's like I started just thinking about what is the difference between these people and like ISIS? Because ISIS go into cities out there in the Middle East, and they're destroying history, right? Uh, they're destroying even even like cultic temples. Now I'm I, everybody knows I am a pastor. I am you know a Christian. I do not apologize for that. Um, I'm going to link to to those kinds of things that I believe are important for people to get out there. Um, but you know, so I'm not. I don't really care so much about you know like uh, occultic temples and stuff like that. But it is history. I mean, you're able to go look at that, and you can see, you know, history is there, right? Um, they started breaking that down, right, and started blowing that apart. And then they they broke down uh, tombs and even Muslim uh, uh, Islamic uh, sites. You know, they would destroy those uh, because they're just trying to get rid of history. So what would um, you know, what's the difference there? I mean, part of it is, is that they say that, or ISIS says that people worship these shrines and whatever. And they really don't, um, you know, but uh, some, I guess some people might, but that's what they're doing. They're just kind of destroying all these things. What's in destroying history? What's the difference between these people and ISIS? And then the, the other thing is, is that, again, going back to what uh, President Trump said, you know, in that news conference, is like, hey, so George Washington was a slave owner and, you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. Uh, are you going to tear down their statues too? Are you gonna, are we going to tear down the, the Jefferson Memorial? Are we going to tear down the, the Washington Memorial? I mean, come on, what's next? Uh, let's not be stupid about all of this, but you got these people doing it. Uh, I think word has come out that they are looking to charge these people they have them on video that's the thing i guess that's the good thing about uh our modern society is we have video and it's capturing all these people the person who climbed up the statue and tied it you know tied it off so that they could pull it down uh you know they have her on on video and all the other people that were there so um you know hopefully they do bring some charges against them you know this was county property and they they destroyed uh county property so in, in going through all of this, I uh, saw <laughs> a Patriot nurse, um, a Patriot nurse video where she's talking about Charlottesville, and uh, she is very very passionate about it. And so I watched that one where she was at, and then it went to another one, and I was kind of uh, curious because um, the title was "Stop Lying to Yourself: The Left Wants You Dead." So I listened to it, and she's even more passionate in this video than she was in the one about Charlottesville. Now, here's the thing. I know that there's some of you that are very... Uh, I, don't, I, I used to, at one point, watch everything of preparedness that I possibly could. There's just no way now, because there's so many video channels, uh, YouTube channels, there's so many... Uh, uh, there's so many websites and, and I just, there's no way. Right. Um, but so I, I don't always listen to Patriot nurse. I don't always, you know, go there. Uh, I have linked to some of her stuff before in the past. Um, on this one here, she is very passionate. So I know some of you are very new to preparedness 
and maybe you haven't seen Patriot Nurse before. Um, so this, so <laughs> I'm trying to be careful with my words here. If you watch this video, you're going to think that she's a crazed woman, right? She's just a crazed, out-of-control woman. At one point, it looks like she's so upset that she might start crying. Now, I'm not trying to be a sexist, sexist so don't, don't go there with me. I'm just trying to explain to you that if you've never seen her videos before, you might believe that, it is, that she's like a crazed woman and she's just talking crazy. But you really need to pay attention to what she's saying because one of the things that I have been talking about this, and, and I get blank stares when I talk about this. Uh, I even mentioned it at church on Sunday. Uh, you know, when I kind of addressed the, Charlotte, the Charlottesville thing that was going on, people are at a frustration level. Again, that's why I think that the populist movements have been gaining momentum. So you had uh, you had Brexit gain momentum because the pop, because people are upset. You know, the, the normal people, right, the blue collar or even white collar who are not like the extreme rich people, they're just fed up with the way things are going. So they voted, hey, let's get out of out of uh, the European Union, right? Let's just let Britain go itself, its own way. So, so you have that. Then you have Trump winning, which, of course, all the, the polls said that he was not going to win, that Clinton was a shoe-in, it was going to be a landslide, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, everyone's blown away that this has happened. Now, partly that is the media, the mainstream media, you know, lying about uh, the, the numbers and all those kinds of things. But uh, partly that is that people turned out because they wanted to... Um, because they, they, they're, they're just tired and they wanted to, to do that. Now, I know that some people, some people believe that um, the, Bernie, the Bernie supporters were, were burnt on Clinton and all that kind of stuff. And that might have been it. That might, might have been a big reason why Trump won. Uh, but I believe that I think the numbers show that a lot of people came out for Trump that normally wouldn't have come out. And so... We have seen for a long, long time, if you've been in preparedness for a long time, or even in the Patriot Movement, Second Amendment Movement, uh, those kinds of things, you, that you see that there is this frustration that is happening, um, you know, in, in um, I, I want to say in, in the mid-U.S., right? I, and w what I mean by that is uh, places that aren't big cities that are usually more, tend to be more liberal. I've said that before, like here in Houston, uh, the Houston city limits went for, for Hillary Clinton, but the county went for Trump. So, um, you know, the cities are normally, you know, you're going to have more liberal, uh, a, a more liberal, liberal aspect to that. And recently, that, that's just recently changed in Houston. I think we've had so many new, so many people come in because of the economy to Texas versus, you know, uh, other places. And I've spoken about that a little bit as well. But, um, she she is relating that that aspect of the frustration that people feel all the way across the board, and so one of the things that she uh, she was referring to this uh, this video, and it, at first I'm like, no way, she you know, there's no way that this happened, but there's a video of a guy, he's a black guy, and this I guess they're at a convenience store, and this convenient and he pulls up in his truck. And he's getting uh, he's getting gas or whatever he's getting, and he's got a Trump sticker on. And there's a black guy is telling him, "Hey, you voted for Trump. Hey, you you like Trump? Blah blah blah. Um, you need to take that sticker off." 
and the guy's walking inside to go get his, you know, go pay for his gas or whatever he's doing. And, you know, they have exchange, an, an exchange like, no, man, that's my opinion. That's, you know, that's my truck. That's my opinion. That's my sticker. I'm not taking that off. And so I don't know what else happens. But this black guy pulls out a rifle. I mean, he pulls out a rifle. And, you know, like, uh, I don't, I'm not, you can't get a good, good shot of it, you know, but it's not like a hunting rifle. Uh, it looks, it looks like a, an AR uh, some of some sort. Um, and then, you know, he's, he's walking towards this guy's truck. Now the guy I think is, is in the, um, in the convenience store, you don't see the guy, but this guy with this rifle is, is walking towards this truck. And then it kind of, uh, the, the screen goes dead, right? Or, you know, that's all the video. It's only about 53 seconds worth. But, um, you know, she's talking about how important it is to be aware and understand that there's people out there that don't have a problem that, you know, if they want to, that they don't like you, that they don't care what happens to you, that if you get hurt, if they, you get killed, that's fine. They don't, they don't want anything to do with you and they have no problem threatening you with a, with, with violence and with, uh, killing you with a, with a rifle, you know? So if things would have got heated with this other guy, I mean, there could have been, you know, shots exchanged. Who knows what, what would have happened? Uh, who knows what did happen? I mean, we only see 53 seconds of it. So I link to all of that. And again, you know, watch Patriot Nurse. Uh, like I said, if you're new, uh, to, to watching Patriot Nurse, you know, just, just kind of see where she's going with it. Um, she is going to look like, hey, she is upset. And she is upset um, because I guess we've been seeing this for a long time. But when I talk about this, when I talk about this frustration, because I, I read so much of it and I, I kind of feel a heartbeat that's out there. People look at me like, you're Todd, you're, you're crazy. You're, you know, you're loony, whatever. And uh, man, we see how crazy it is uh, out there. Um, things that happened in Charlottesville just really, you know, they, they talked about how things like it when it, things happened at Berkeley. So the Michael Brown riots that happened at Ferguson and you have other riots that ha happened to other places, Berkeley, um, you know, this Charlottesville took it up a whole nother notch. And there's been a lot of talk and a lot of uh, information put out there that the left, you know, the, when they had their hands hand, their butts handed to them, uh, that they started, you know, arming up, that they've started arming up, they started practicing, they've started, you know, uh, looking at ways to not have their butts handed to them. And I think that they came to the party, to this Unite the Right Party, a little bit more prepared and ready to do some damage uh, than just sit there and scream and hold signs up. And so you've got to you've got to be aware of all that. And uh, I, I'm totally for supporting, uh, you know, patriotism and the Constitution and conservatism and all that. But I, I'm also very, very aware that you don't want to put yourself in a situation where, you know, you're going to, you know, get hurt, you know, and uh, and those kinds of things. So that's another thing that's going to happen because, you know, these rallies are going to happen. People are going to make these. You know, they're going to do these rallies. People are going to show up. They are uh, out there. They are announced. And uh, you're going to have people on both sides coming and, and talking about that. So, uh, again, uh, a lot of information there have gone a long time. Uh, and so hopefully, um, hopefully you appreciate that. Hopefully, if not, hopefully you can just skip. Uh, you've skipped it and uh, move forward to the first article. All right. So <laughs> with that, let me go ahead and move into uh, the articles for today. The first article comes to us from the survival from survivalistprepper.net, 
And uh, Dell and Lisa, they have uh, a podcast, and this is actually off of their podcast, uh, 214, episode 214. Um, the one thing that uh, Dell does over there is he puts together a whole kind of like article off of his podcast. And so I, I'm reading his, um, I guess, the article based off of his podcast. So you can go check it out. There's a lot of links in here. And then also you can listen to his podcast. And Dale and Lisa have a good podcast over there. All right, so let's go ahead and get started on this one. Long-term prepping challenges. It can be pretty confusing for anyone just getting into preparedness, but once that fog clears, it becomes fairly basic. Unfortunately, that is just the beginning. After a while, we find ourselves with a whole new set of long-term prepping challenges. If you have been at this for more than a year or so, you probably have a good grasp on food storage, water storage, first aid, and other miscellaneous survival supplies. To become better prepared, we need to take these basic skills to the next level. This week in the show, Lisa and I talked about some of the challenges we begin to face as we get deeper into preparedness. We covered everything from self-doubt to getting out of debt to storage problems and solutions. Getting out of debt. Let's face it, as Americans, we are really good at justifying our purchases. Quite often, we confuse our wants with our needs. Couple that with the endless supply of companies willing to help you out, and it's far too easy to get into debt. Getting out of debt and staying out of debt is much harder, but one of the most important parts of becoming better prepared. The money we spend monthly on credit card debt could be better spent, saved, or invested. Not to mention the money we pay in interest, which is basically paying to be in debt. Helpful links are interesting. I'm sorry, investing in silver and 10 ways to reduce debt. Maintaining your preparedness level. This is something we all battle with. We reach our preparedness goal and we tend to let off the gas a little bit. Let's say you reach your goal of being prepared for six months and you give yourself a well-deserved pat on the back. If you wait too long, that six months will turn into three before you know it. This is also why it's important to do inventory and why we try to store food and supplies with long shelf life. If we just get, get it and forget it, our supplies could become spoiled, damaged, or destroyed when you actually need them. And that's a very good point. A lot of the times you start buying stuff uh, and you, you think you have it and then you don't. Or you're purchasing food items and you think you, you, they're good, uh, but they're not. And so uh, that's, you know, that's, that's a good point that he's made there. Uh, helpful links are prepping supplies at home and 11 things, that we, 11 things that will derail your SHTF plans. Where to store everything. Inevitably, we all run into this problem. Cupboards get packed, closets get stuffed, and we begin to look for creative ways to store our supplies. A lot of this also depends on your living situation as well. Smaller homes and apartments only have so much available storage space, while larger homes have their own set of challenges. In a larger home, you will have more options, but how you store your preparedness supplies is just as important as where you store them. If you store things in front of things in front of other things, you will have a hard time finding that thing you need when you need it. Helpful links, storage problems and solutions for peppers and food storage, one size does not fit all. Staying organized. Along the same lines as where to store everything is staying organized. The deeper you get into preparedness, the harder this becomes. It doesn't take long at all to accumulate all sorts of different preparedness supplies. What also complicates things is that we need to use these supplies and practices with them. It does, not, it does no good having a great survival knife and a ferro rod if you don't know how to use them. It's easier said than done for some people, like me, but the, these supplies need to go back home when we are done with them. Helpful links are organization and storage ideas for preppers and storage problems and solutions for pepper, preppers. Battling complacency and self-doubt. 
Just like in the story of the boy who cried wolf, sometimes we can begin to wonder if everything we are doing is a waste of time and energy. We hear and read about all the bad things that could happen, but nothing ever does. Becoming, becoming complacent is dangerous because just because the odds are against a major disaster happening, there is still a chance. As preppers, becoming lackadaisical should not be an option because we know better. I wouldn't be able to live with myself if something happened to my family because I took the easy way out. Helpful links are the different types of prepping and preppers and why we crazy prep preppers aren't so crazy. Practice honing, practice and honing your skills. Once you get the basics of preparedness down, it's time to practice and learn new skills. The skills you decide to focus on really depends on your priorities and your interests. Preparedness is a never-ending journey and we should be trying to grow every day. It's not only important to have emergency plans, it's important to practice them and make sure the family is on the same page. The perfect bug out plan is pointless if you are the only one in the family who knows what it is and how to execute it. Helpful links, 10 wilderness survival skills everyone should know, and 15 DIY prepping ideas to learn new skills. Moving further away. For most of us, moving out to the boonies and away from society or people is not an option, and some of us have no desire to do so in the first place. For most people, this is a long-term goal and not something that, we can, that can be done overnight. For some people, this could mean moving out of an urban area to a more suburban area. For us, we have already taken that step. We live in a semi-rural area, and our plans are to get a little further away in the future. Helpful links. The difference between urban and rural prepping. Sur surviving an economic collapse. What are your options? What are your challenges? If you, have a, if you have any challenges you have encountered after prepping for a while, we would love to hear about them. Leave a comment below and let everyone know. All right, so uh, good information there, just uh, prepping challenges. It's good to remember, I know that there's people, uh, we have new preppers. Actually, when I, when I look at uh, the people that are joining the, the email list, um, the newer preppers, people who've been prepping five years and, and lower, uh, are starting to far exceed those that have been prepping for a longer period of time. And so I know that we have new preppers coming to the podcast and, and to the websites. Um, so, you know, these challenges start to, to, to gear up every once in a while. So it's good to, uh, even if you've been prepping for two or three years, um, to go back and review some of these things and to think about these things and to uh, put some of these things in place. Because it is, there are times where you can get lackadaisical. There are some times when you think, hey, I've got, I've got food storage put away, I'm good. And then you don't ever think about it again, you know, for another year, two years or to the next big, hey, you know, possible poop hit the fan situation hits. So it's, uh, it's good to revisit these, whether you're a, you're a new prepper or whether you are a, an, a, someone who's been prepping for a long time. And uh, you, you know, you've, you've uh, just been kind of going through the motions lately. So uh, and then plus, there's a lot of links in here on this article that you'll want to go check out over at Survivalist Prepper. Hey, before I, I, I move on, I, I just I forgot and I wanted to do this. I wanted to send a sh shout out to Ray uh, when he saw that uh, uh, that I didn't that I didn't come out with uh, a Tuesday podcast. Uh, he sent me a little message on Facebook and just, hey, I hope your foot uh, or praying for you and your foot. <laughs> so I appreciate that, Ray. And then John also uh, left a, a comment on uh, episode 126. Uh, you know, he's a little concerned when he didn't see it, see the new podcast for Tuesday morning. 
uh, and uh, just, you know, came by the website, I guess, to see if there was anything, you know, up or whatever. So, John, I appreciate your concern. Thanks so much for that. I just wanted a shout out for that uh, uh, out to y'all. Uh, thanks for checking up on me. This next article, if you have a preparedness binder, um, I think this is one you want to you want to print out. I think this is a, this is one that uh, is very very useful, and uh, one that um, it has a lot of shares. I mean, it's it's a it's a newer uh, article, so this really um, you know it, it really resonates with a lot of people, right? So this article is called Top Five Easy to ID Edible Backyard Weeds. After I get into it, you're gonna know you're gonna understand why I'm saying you know you want to go. Uh, print this one out and maybe even do a little bit more research and uh, maybe even find some more um, some more uh, pictures and stuff to go along with this one. So let's go ahead and get uh, started on this one. It's coming to us from BackdoorSurvival.com. Like the, like the white picket fence that surrounds it, a thick, green, weed-free American lawn is a symbol of suburban success. But for all the pulling, mowing, weed whacking, and spraying of poison we do to kill these fast-spreading invaders, Few homeowners stop to learn exactly what the plants are that they're so dutifully destroying. If they did, they'd learn that most of the peskiest and most common backyard weeds are also nutritious, delicious, edible plants. Even for people who can identify some edible weeds, a frequent assumption seems to be that while there'd be great to know in a survival situation, wild edible plants would need to be choked down just for the nutrition and couldn't be prepared in a tasty or satisfying way. The reality is, harvested at the right time and cooked the right way, wild edible veggies are at least as delicious as anything you'd buy at the store. Many people are intimidated by not knowing how to cook with these plants, but it's the same as cooking with plants from the produce section. Sorry, I lost my place, guys. Cook wild leafy greens as you would store-bought ones. Some are too bitter for salads and make better pot herbs, but with a tiny bit of research, they're no more difficult to cook into delicious recipes than what you buy at the market. For this list, I selected plants that most U.S.-based readers are likely to be able to find right now, right outside their back door, or at least somewhere on their property. They're easy to identify and have no poisonous or even non-poisonous lookalikes. They're easy to harvest sustainably because of all of them either because all of them either grow in abundance or are or are non-native evasive species. They're also loaded with vitamins and minerals and are easy to incorporate into recipes. These features make them ideal plants for anyone just getting their feet wet in the world of foraging. For this guide, each plant listed has a description section. These sections give identifying characteristics, but since plants change appearance with the season, note that not all characteristics will appear at once. For example, plants won't show open flowers or seed pods all year long and may only show stems and leaves during some season. I simply listed key characteristics that each plant exhibits in at least one of the four seasons so that you have a way to identify them year-round. As a general rule, the younger a plant is when you harvest it, the tastier it will be. Before we begin, some basic tips for safe foraging. 1. Study each identification characteristic closely and never eat anything if you aren't 100% positive of the identification. Don't let your eagerness for a plant to be the right one cause you to overlook differences or inconsistencies. Assume the plant you're looking at isn't correct until you can prove that it is. Only eat a small amount the first time. Even with correct identification, you have some chance of being allergic to any food that you've never tried before. 
Don't harvest near roads, in yards, or parks where pesticides might be used or near farms or industrial areas. Learn all potential lookalikes, and when you think you've made a positive identification, always compare your plants against any others with similar features. And then know which plants can be over-harvested and make sure you forage sustainably. Take only what you can actually use. With a bit of knowledge, foraging can always be a completely sustainable activity that causes no harm to plants or animals. Basic foraging tools. Gloves, a trawl or small shovel, and plastic bags. The first one is the dandelion. After two or three, oh, sorry, about two or three years ago, I first noticed industrial-grown dandelion leaves selling for $1.99 per pound at a major supermarket chain in my town. To think, a completely ubiquitous lawn weed with thousands of gallons of poison are sold to consumers to obliterate them, their own backyards, being sold for two bucks a bunch at the grocer. Imagine if we did the same for other vegetables. Think of it. Think if great big pe pe peppers or vines loaded with succulent tomatoes grew naturally in yards and instead of walking right outside and reaping an enormous free harvest, people poisoned them and bought industrial grown versions at the store instead. It'd make no sense, but apparently we do it with dandelions. Many people know dandelion is edible, but haven't taken the plunge in actually eating it. Since it's one of the widest growing and recognizable weeds in the United States, I thought it perfect to start with. Although pretty much everyone knows exactly what a dandelion is, we'll start with a very brief description. Dandelion description. Leaves are deeply lobed and jag jagged. When broken, leaves and stems bleed a milky sap. Stems turn white as they fuse into the base that connects with the roots. Flowers are golden colored. They turn quickly into those iconic fluffy white seed clusters that kids love to, to kick, sending the seeds floating everywhere. Edible parts are the leaves, flowers, and the roots. How to harvest, cook, and use. Harvest leaves young in early spring before they get too bitter. Young leaves make a good salad green, but if they're already a bit too bitter, try boiling, boiling them in one change of water and using them in soups, stews, sautés, or stir-fries. As a nutritional bonus, dandelion leaves are quite high in protein for a plant, coming in at about 1.5 grams per cup. Unopened and freshly opened flower heads make attractive, crunchy additions to salads and can also be fried or used to make dandelion wine. Roots can be finely chopped for soups, boiled into a medicinal tea, or dried and roasted into a coffee substitute. Poisonous lookalikes, none. Flatweed, also known as false dandelion and cat's ear dandelion, looks somewhat similar but is also edible. Chicory, as well as many variety of wild lettuce, have similar looking leaves. However, all these potential lookalikes are edible. Okay, the second edible is chickweed. Chickweed is great because you can find it for most of the year and it's easy to grab up in quantity. I love putting it on sandwiches for a slightly crunchy, mild-tasting green vegetable that's loaded with vitamins. It tends to grow in soft-looking clumps that grow low to the ground. This chickweed pillow is the form that chickweed hunters usually recognize first. Chickweed Description Chickweed grows in dense mats made up of long, overlapping, intertwined stems. Leaves have pointy tips but are otherwise ovoid, lengthening more as they age. They appear opposite each other and in pairs along the stems. Along the stems, 
The flowers are white and small, around 5 millimeters, growing between branches and on the stem tips. They have five petals, but because each petal is branched, they look like 10 petals at first glance. Chickweed comes in different varieties that have slightly different that have slight differences, but all have the small white flower and leaves that are paired and opposite along the stems. Fine white hairs can be found with the close inspection of the stems and leaves. The edible parts are the leaves, stems, flowers, and seed pods. How to harvest, cook, and use. People say they only eat the leaves raw, but I eat the stems, flowers, and seed pods raw as well. I'll, pu I'll pluck some, rinse them, chop them up a bit, and throw them onto sandwiches instead of lettuce. All of chickweed's edible parts also work great sautéed and in soups. For a healthful tea, steep all parts that grow above the ground. I find chickweed palatable any time I find it, but sometime around late spring or early summer is the best season for most areas. Poisonous lookalikes, none. The third edible is wood sorrel. Often mistaken for clovers, wood sorrel is a tasty little edible with leaves that look like shamrocks. It grows all over the place, yards, disturbed lots, even between the cracks and sidewalks, and has sort of, of a tart, lemony flavor that makes it a refreshing addition to salads. Members of the oxalis family have one extra consideration with regard, re, with regard to safety, and that is that they all contain oxalic acid. They, this substance is perfectly fine in the right dosage, but excessive amounts contribute to kidney stones and prevent the body from absorbing certain nutrients. It's important to know, especially for people prone to conditions like gout, arthritis, and kidney stones, but it shouldn't scare you off from enjoying wood sorrel. From kale to coffee, many foods contain at least a little bit of oxalic acid. Spinach is loaded with it, and you won't see any warning labels on bagged spinach at the supermarket. If you're still worried, stick with younger sorrel plants. They become richer in oxalic acid as they age, or blanch before cooking, as this can reduce the oxalic acid levels up by up to around 30%. In general, just be sure to get enough variety in your diet, and you can easily offset the effects of potentially negative compounds. Wood sorrel description. Wood sorrel has distinctive heart or shamrock-shaped leaflets. Flowers are usually yellow with five petals each, and when seed pods appear, they try to point upward. Tiny hairs grow on the stems. Look for those heart-shaped leaflets, and it's hard to go wrong identifying it. That said, no plant is foolproof, so always tread carefully. The edible parts are leaves, stems, flowers, and seed pods. How to harvest, cook, and use. To harvest wood sorrel, I like to pluck it by the stem and then gently pinch the stem at the bottom then holding it over a bowl, I slide my thumb and forefinger all the way up, which plucks all off the leaves, flowers, and seed pods for eating. I then discard the naked stem. Flour is sour and lemony. They wilt and turn brown when cooked, but retain their distinctive tartness. Any recipe that calls for lemon juice, try having the recommended amount of juice and throwing in some finely chopped wood sorrel instead. It's really a green you use to add flavor to recipes rather than one that acts as its own side dish. Poisonous lookalikes, none. The fourth edible is red and white clover. Now that we've covered wood sorrel, we'll cover clovers, the plant that many people think they've found in their yard when they've actually discovered wood sorrel. 
The main way to tell clovers apart from wood sorrel, other than the distinctive flowers, is that the leaves are teardrop shaped rather than heart shaped. Thankfully, it, if you still confuse them, both are edible and delicious. Clover description. Leaves are teardrop shaped and more elongated on red clover than on white. They have a light colored stripe or chevron pointing toward the leaf tip, which wood sorrel does not. The distinctive flower heads are either reddish or whitish depending on clover types and is actually an inflorescence which means it is really a clump of many very small flowers. Edible parts are the leaves, stems, flowers, seeds, and roots. How to harvest, cook, and use. Harvest like wood sorrel but pull the root up as well if you're planning on eating the whole plant. Flowers are pleasant and sort of tart and nutty, great in salads. Leaves are best as raw greens but are mild tasting enough to be tossed into most recipes as well. The flowers either raw or steeped to make the flowers either raw or steeped to make tea are the most treasured part of the clover plant. Poisonous lookalikes, none. The fifth ed edible and the last one is garlic mustard. Garlic mustard is a pesky weed that has taken over swaths of the east coast. I remember many a long spring weekend where my dad would send me and my brother out to pull up seemingly endless fields of garlic mustard in the woods around the house. Since it's invasive, you can harvest as much as you like if you please. Pull enough of it and you might even catch a whiff of the onion-like aroma that makes this plant so special. The garlic mustard description. Young and old garlic mustard plants are quite different looking. Leaves of young, first-year plants grow in low rosettes and are kidney or heart-shaped with scalloped edges. Mature second-year plants grow taller with leaves that are staggered or alternating up the stalk. Leaves in second-year plants are also pointier and more sharply toothed instead of scalloped. Flowers are very small with four white petals that are ovoid to, emote to almost rectangular. If you crush and sniff any part of the plant, it will smell distinctly oniony. Onion roots are smell like roots smell like horseradish. Edible parts: leaves, flowers, seeds, and roots. How to harvest, cook, and use. Older leaves will be more bitter than younger ones. Spicy garlic mustard roots is great in anything requiring horseradish. All other parts of the plant give a nice garlicky kick to recipes. My favorite use for it is making garlic mustard pesto. Throw some leaves and chopped root into a food processor with pine nuts, parmesan, olive oil, salt, and pepper, and you have a truly delicious forager's pesto that friends will rave about. Poisonous lookalikes. None. If it looks like the picture and it smells oniony, when you crush and sniff it, it's almost certainly garlic mustard. All right, so that's a great article over there. Um, like I said, now I think you know why uh, this article is uh, is one that I think you should print out and put in a preparedness binder if you if you have one, or uh, even if you have a digital uh, preparedness uh, portfolio that you're dumping things into. Uh, there's a lot of ways that you can just go and save it. You know, with the PDFs, if you have like a uh, the Chrome browser, there's extensions where you can save it as a PDF. And go from there. And some of the websites do have ways that you can uh, you can print them or uh, even save them as PDFs right off the the, the website. I know Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy has a, a way that you can do that. I do in Bloom.net. But uh, I, I like this one. I love the way that they broke it down into the sections. Uh, you know, you wish that all wild edible articles were like this, uh, where they give you a description, where they give you the edible parts, 
how to cook it, and the poisonous uh, lookalikes. The things about all the ones that were shared here is there's no poisonous lookalikes, which, uh, you know, when you're talking about foraging, can get a little scary if you're, if you're new to it all. So uh, I think this is a great article. If you are thinking about foraging, uh, this might be one you want to go look at. And then, of course, always do a little bit more research. Um, you can always go to the Prepper website podcast in the right-hand corner. Uh, do the little drop-down menu and go to Prepping Topics, and that will open up the tag cloud. So you can go to Wild Edibles. You can go to Foraging. You can go to Edibles. Um, you can go to all those kinds of things and, um, and find uh, you know, more articles on, on you know, these specifically sometimes uh, or just general articles as well. All right, so that's that Backdoor Survival. Uh, go check that one out. You're going to want to see that one. That's a good article. All right, the last article uh, of, the, uh, of the podcast comes. It's actually from my uh, personal uh, preparedness website, um, edthatmatters.com. Um, it is a guest post by Janet. And ja- Janet has, rec- has uh, recently uh, submitted other articles, one other article as well. And, and I hope, she, actually, she... Um, she uh, submits other ones too because uh, she does a good job. Her uh, other article was you, your food storage might not last 25 years. And so uh, when she sends me an article, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to use it. I don't have to even think twice about that one. But anyway, this one's called Controlling the Prepper Image. Uh, I think this is uh, definitely useful. Hopefully it will be to you. So let's go ahead and get started on this one. It's no secret that a good number of people think of preppers as nutcases, wackos, Weirdos, alarmists, pessimists, or just plain dangerous people. I learned lately that some agents of a certain governmental agency tasked with protecting the homeland view preppers as cultists. Why is that? Does it have anything to do with how preppers present themselves? It's been reported that only about 10% of the American population is prepared for any kind of national emergency or catastrophe. Some won't look at the possibility of anything bad happening because they think that if they ignore it, it won't happen. They're just too scared to face it. Another category of unprepared people is the group that suffers from normalcy bias, or fill-in-the-blank has never happened, so it won't happen in the future. They can't imagine their neighborhood, their neighborhood in flames, a collapse of the economy, buildings completely leveled by an earthquake, no electrical power, or no water coming out of the faucets. Some think the government is going to take care of them in the event of a SHTF emergency. They can't imagine that a critical national emergency might overwhelm emergency services like what happened after the localized disaster of Hurricane Katrina. They don't see the emergency workers they don't see that emergency workers might understandably be so concerned for their own families that they won't come help them. Just a little side note. Have you seen the recent uh, flooding in New Orleans? Um, there was uh, some pictures on Facebook that had um, the Katrina flooding right up next to the, the, the recent flooding in New Orleans. It was like uh, the same shot, right? It had the same uh, store, same corner, I guess, uh, flooding just like, uh, just like it was in Katrina. I mean, it's crazy over there. I mean, if you went back to New Orleans, I, I know a lot of people working with the school district. We had a lot of people come from, from Katrina and enroll in schools. And a lot of people came and they never went back, which I totally understand that. But I know a lot of people did go back to New Orleans and they're, you know, experiencing the same flooding. Um, I guess when, you know, you live below sea level and you depend on pumps to work to make sure that you don't flood, um, you know, you're, you're putting, uh, some risk in, in machinery, and machinery can always uh, fail you. Anyway, when, it, uh, when I saw that, when I was thinking about that again. Others don't want to spend the time and money on prepping for something that might not ever happen. 
Then there are the people who think preppers are so weird that they don't want anything to do with us. They can't get beyond the idea that someone might think of them as just as weird as the preppers if they jump over the barrier and join the ranks of the prepared. There are undoubtedly more categories of the unprepared, but the question remains, why does 90% of the population not prepare? We preppers can't control what people think. It would be so much better for us if more people were prepared since we'd have fewer needy people coming to us for help in an emergency or those who might try to take that we, what we have by force. We, not, we might not be putting so much thought into how to protect what we have or whether or not we'd share stored food. The question of whether or not we'd shoot someone who tried to take our stuff wouldn't be such a troubling and often considered question. Most prepared people would mean less stress for us. Since we can't control what the unprepared think, is, is there anything we can do that, that we haven't thought of before to encourage others to prepare? Perhaps working on changing the image of the prepper would help. Maybe if people looked at us differently, more of them would be willing to join our ranks. Most of us are driven to persuade others to prepare by our concern for them. But, many would, many, but maybe we could do a better job of expressing it. Sorry, my... Uh, Tongue is getting tied there. But how would we do that? The prepper community includes the survivalist who are armed to the teeth with a 40-pound tricked-out assault rifle and says he'll head to the forest and blow away anyone who comes close to him. Then we have the 80-year-old grandmother who quietly buys a few extra cans of beans when they're on sale so that she can feed her grandchildren when the ship hits the sand. There's a wide chasm... There's a wide chasm between the two, occupied by preppers of all sorts. And doomsday preppers didn't help the situation at all. I could never tell when watching episodes if the producers wanted people to think that the fe featured preppers were geniuses or if they had gone way out, of way, way out past where the bu buses run. Maybe people were supposed to draw their own conclusions, which they certainly would have done, based on their already foreign prejudices. People form their opinions of others based on what they say and do. Plus, they own past experiences and attitudes. A lot of damage has already been done to the prepper image because of what many of us have said and done. Maybe it's time for each of us to think about how we're representing the prepper image. Maybe statements like, I'm going to blow away anyone who comes onto my front porch, or I have enough food and water to hunker down for two years and I'm not sharing with anyone, should be eliminated from our conversation. Maybe the militant tone of voice that some of us uh, use when talking about prepping should be softened. Maybe the sometimes aggressive speech we use on people should be replaced with silence or more carefully thought out messages. This is a personal issue that we all might need to consider. We all have the power to improve the proper image among those who haven't yet joined our ranks. Then maybe more of them would want to join us. I've uh, peppered a lot of links in here that... Uh, uh, that would be relevant to this conversation here. Uh, so if you go to the website or you go to the article, you can click on those links. I think Janet makes some really great points. Um, I, I do think people, you know, here Doomsday Preppers did not do very well. I mean, I think we know that Doomsday Preppers was, uh, I mean, all that was for was to, uh, you know, to sell a, a show and make money. That's all that was about. And they were going to use the craziness. They weren't going to show normal, everyday people. Um, and, and some of the people that were on there 
We're normal, everyday people that if you saw, uh, you know, you saw at the store, you just knew them. They would be just be normal people, but they made them look to be so crazy on the on the show, right? You can make anybody look any way you want on uh, we just with editing, right? Doesn't matter. And then with the producer, the producer can you know ask you to do whatever. And uh, you know, there's plenty of um, examples out there of people that were on, on Doomsday Preppers that that share you know what producers asked them to do and stuff like that. Things that they would do and things that they wouldn't do. Uh, you can go look for all that stuff out there. But I, I think I think she's right when we talk about the image uh, that we put out there. There's such an extreme out there, and people are always going to focus on the extreme. So if uh, you know, maybe there needs to be a campaign, uh, a campaign out there with uh, you know just with regular people talking about you know who they are, and then hey, I'm a prepper. Uh, man, that might be something something to do. If there was somebody out there that had um, video skills um, to do something like that, that might be something, uh, maybe something uh, that would would catch on. You know, maybe if th- if there's 10% of America, let's just t- I don't know how many millions there are in America anymore, uh, but if there's 10% and 10% of prepping, if we had a good show, right, that that talked about the great things of preparedness that was mainstream that didn't try to do all the the crazy whack job stuff but maybe they you know they talked about chicken chickens one show or they talked about a food storage one show or they talked about uh you know uh, living out in the country or homesteading or gardening or whatever um i i think that would be popular if it was done in a good way uh and and that would be something that people could point to um so i think that might be a show that that might be positive. I, I don't know if there's any. There might be something that's already exists out there like that. If there is, hey, let me know, uh, and so I can talk a little bit about it and share that out. Um, hopefully, um, you know, it's easy to get to. So um, that's it for uh, the podcast. It went very long today. Um, so uh, hope you're with me. If you're with me to the end, I really appreciate you hanging out with me and uh, you know spending your this hour. I guess it's, we're we're over an hour. Um, you know, a lot of stuff going on, and I think we're we're still going going back to the Charlotte thing, uh, Charlotteville thing. I think there's going to be more stuff come out as uh, you know we're still still kind of new. There's still going to be a lot of stuff come out. Um, you know, even when we start talking about it, we don't always have the facts. We don't have we don't have everything, all the knowledge about it, and uh, so even some things that I have shared, like uh, the guy who who ran over, um, you know, uh, ran over all those people. I mean, he, he might have done it on purpose. You know, he might not have done it on purpose. Uh, there's so many different things out there. But I, one of the things that we need to take away from is we need to stay prepped and aware. I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just part of it. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I mean, you're one of the people that, are, that understand it. Unless you are just brand new and this is the first podcast you've ever listened to, um, you know, you understand that there are some craziness. This world is very crazy right now. There's a lot of craziness. And some, you know, people will say, hey, Todd, it's always been crazy. It's just now with social media, you know, things get out there. I think, I think that's crap. When people say that, I think that's crap. Maybe on some things, yeah. But the world has gotten crazier and crazier and crazier. Um, it's, you know, I don't, I don't want to keep going on, on that, but it, it is. And that's why we, we need to stay prepped and aware. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not like, uh, you know, an 18 year old who, who hasn't lived 
uh, enough life to be able to say, hey, I've got I've got a little bit of experience, man, out there in the world. And, and I have been, you know, I, I'd like to think that I have had my eyes open for a while, um, you know, in, in looking around and paying attention to what's going on. And I read so much and listen to so much that I feel like I have my hand on on the, you know, on the temperature of what's going on out there. And so that's, um, you know, when I say we need to stay prepped and aware, I, I truly believe that. So with that, let me end this out. Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, on the grid, or the grind. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.